Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. The votes have been counted, and now we know which candidates won yesterday's primary election in Pennsylvania. In many cases, but not all, there will be contests between Democrat and Republican candidates and maybe candidates representing other parties this fall. Here with a postmortem today is Dr. G. Terry Madonna, director of the Center for Politics and Public Affairs, professor of public affairs and director of the Franklin and Marshall College poll. Dr. Madonna, welcome to the program. Good morning, Scott. And uh, I want to tell our listeners at home that if you have a question or a comment like to add to the conversation, give us a call at 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at org. We also uh, hope to hear from a couple of the winning candidates during the hour as well. WITF's election 2016 coverage is supported by the Harrisburg Law Office of Saul Ewing, LLP. Terry, can you still talk today? It's, uh, oh, sure, sure. <laughs> I don't know, your voice sounds a little bit different than what you normally a little, do. A little, a little more hoarse. A maybe? little more hoarse, a <laughs> little more hoarse. All right, so I've been talking to many people this morning, and uh, one of the first things that comes up about uh, yesterday's results is there, there really were no surprises out there. Maybe yeah. surprise at some of the margin of victory uh, yeah. in some cases, but for the most part, the candidates who are expected to win actually did. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, uh, if we talk about the presidential election, I mean, I think the size of the Trump victory uh, was, was a surprise. Uh, uh, the, de- the sharp decline of, of Cruz in the state from where the polls, most of the polls had him in the mid to uh, high 20s. He ends up in the high teens. I mean, a complete decline uh, there. But here's what was stunning to me. If you take a look at the exit polls, on a, let's look at the Republican side. We had talked about, you know, uh, we had a narrative about Trump support. It was incomes 50,000 or less. He was winning uh, a certain demographic of people with educations, high school or less. We can go through all of that. I won't get into all of that. But if you look at the exit polls, he won virtually every demographic we could talk about. He won college-educated folks. He won those with more college. He won down in the southeastern part of the state where the Republicans are more moderate, where a lot of folks thought, oh, they'll never vote for Trump. These are, these are, these are voters that are classic Kasich voters. I mean, what was sort of stunning was the size of the victory, not just in our state, but in the other four as well, where, you know, he, over 60 percent in a couple, pushing 60 percent in virtually all of them. What about women? I'm curious about how he did with women here in Pennsylvania. He won. He won. I'll be off by a percent or two. Fifty-three, fifty-four percent of women. Now remember, close primary Republican women. And I know that's the first thing I thought about because of the comments he's made throughout the campaign, and again, you know, uh, last evening, uh, the comments he made about Hillary and women voters. Uh, maybe that wasn't as harsh as some of the other things he had said earlier. Uh, you know, he made the comment about Carly Fiorina's face, uh, one of his opponents earlier in the contest. But, uh, I mean, this is uh, a wild, and uh, I'll use a word I don't think I've ever used to describe an election, weird. <laughs> I mean, think about it. You and I have been talking about this for months. Yeah. And every time we think we understand it, it takes a new curve. I mean, there, I don't think there's any way, given what happened yesterday, that 
the Republican, quote, power establishment, end quote, can deny him, uh, can deny him, the, him the nomination. I mean, he's just now, he's under 300 votes away. And all the discussions we had about the superdelegates, in the analyses that have been done since last night or since the voting closed, it looks like he could be somewhere between 33 and 42 of the 54 unbound delegates that go to the Republican convention, either because they had announced before they were for Trump, or these were people who said, if my congressional district goes for, and you know, whichever presidential candidate wins my congressional district, that's who I'll vote for at the convention. The delegates, yeah. Well, yeah, the well, delegate candidates, right. Well, and, well, and, well, what happened? I mean, uh, you're, you're, I'm wondering if... Uh, I'm wondering if, you know, there was like a sense of inevitability about uh, Trump's candidacy to be nominated. No, I I think you're on to something. I think the more this has gone on, the more it's inevitable. And the other thing that that strikes me as a little different, I mean, think of of John Kasich. Okay, he makes the argument he's the only one that can beat beat Clinton. Uh, in 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 the fall, the likely nominee on the uh, on the Democratic side. All right, but here's what he's asking voters to do now. By the way, I'm mathematically eliminated. I can't win on the first or second ballot, and should this go to a third ballot, maybe I'll be the nominee of the party. Is that a rationale? Yeah. You follow me? Yeah. Now I'm yeah. sure some people voted for him because they liked what he stood for. They liked his positions. And I'm not dismissing that, but if you go through the exit polls again and you look at the things that matter to voters, who's the outsider? Who's the candidate for change? Who's the candidate who tells it like it is? Who, who, I mean, you start going through, through all of those categories, Trump came up big, and many of them were very, very important to Republican voters yesterday. Mm. All right. So, what about Hillary Clinton? Hillary Clinton. We know we knew she was going to do well here in sure. Pennsylvania, and uh, she didn't disappoint uh, nope. the, the Democratic Party, the, the you know the Democrats out there. Um, so, how does? I mean, I guess now we can. Even though Bernie Sanders says he's going to stay in the race until the last right. vote is cast, you wonder whether. There will be some pressure for him to uh, to to get out of the race, to bring the party together. Right. But how does Trump and Clinton match up this fall? Yeah. Well, right now, obviously, you know, she defeats him pretty handily in the general election matchups. But here, here's the problem: we are in uncharted territory here. I don't think, as a political scientist, I'm prepared to say right now that Hillary Clinton is the inevitable winner. I mean, it certainly looks like that as we sit here and talk today. There's no doubt about that. And the discord in, that the Republicans have, we've got to get through two conventions. We've got to get through a long, arduous general election campaign yet. Uh, but uh, on the other side of it, Hillary Clinton, as we speak, is about 91 percent of the way towards the nomination. And Bernie Sanders, it looks like he said he says I'm going to stay to the last vote is counted, but he also has said, I want to influence the platform right. in Philadelphia. And that could mean give a big speech. He's also said he's not going to tell his voters uh, who to vote for. You know, he's not going to tell them to support Clinton. 
Uh, he said it's up to them. That's unlike what Hillary Clinton did in 2008 when she got voters to rally behind Barack Obama after she didn't win the nomination. So this, I mean, this could play out. The other point, I, I, I'm, I'm almost joking about this. When's the last time when you did presidential elections, and you've done a number of them, and you were talking about candidates for the presidency and their positions, you actually referred to the platforms in a convention. Oh, I know. I know. And it, it, you're, you're right. And, and it, you know, it's one of those things that voters' eyes may gloss over with that. Yeah. But, you know, it, the platform may mean more this year than yeah. any other year that, uh, that, that we've yeah. seen. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. We're talking about yesterday's election and where we go from here. Our guest during this portion of the program is, uh, or during this program, or I should say, is Dr. G. Terry Madonna, political analyst and pollster at Franklin and Marshall College. Uh, Terry, we're going to move um, down the ballot a little bit, and we're going to be joined by one of the winning candidates in the U.S. Senate race on the Democratic side, Katie McGinney, the former DEP secretary here in Pennsylvania, was victorious over uh, three other candidates on the, on the ballot. And uh, Secretary McGinty joins us on the phone right now. Secretary McGinty, welcome to the program. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you today? Doing well. And Terry, you can jump right in here, too. Sure. Okay. All right. So uh, congratulations, first of all. And uh, secondly, what do you attribute your victory Oh, Scott, a lot of good people from every corner of this Commonwealth coming together. And I think certainly with concerns about their struggles and where they are, but an equal dose of optimism that if they just had somebody to help give them a bit of a hand up, that they can compete and win and and just a promise for a future for their kids that would be bright. And that's what really put uh, wind in our sails. Well, wind in your sails is a good way to lead to my next question, because uh, you apparently had that wind in your sails, if we could use a metaphor. Um, The polls were showing that you were trailing Joe Sestak up until here in the last week. And you got a lot of endorsements, including those from uh, President Obama and uh, Vice President uh, Biden. So it seems as though you really came on and got some momentum here at the end. There were a lot of undecided voters. How did that momentum happen? How do you think you did come in? How do you think you did get that wind in your sails? Well, two things I'd say. One is something that Terry can certainly speak to. This is a typical pattern, I think, in elections. People are busy. They've got their uh, real and regular lives to, to lead. And so it's often not until the last maybe two weeks that people start tuning in in any significant way. Uh, the second, though, is I do believe it made a difference uh, when a President Obama says, look, I'm with Katie McGinty because she got it done in expanding Medicaid, not just a generalized endorsement, but specific things of being in the arena and solving problems and getting good things done. You know, and when a Joe Biden comes in and talks to voters personally and says, look, I've seen her in action, and, you know, she helped save the Children's Health Insurance Program. That made a big difference to people, that personal affirmation and specific in the arena, solving problems that matter to people. Uh, I think that moved moved some votes our way. Congratulations, uh, Katie. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. I mean, in our last poll when we still had uh, Joe Sestak winning, we found a huge number of voters that had yet not focused on the race. And I think the 
television commercials that you ran were very effective, the organizational support that you have. Plus, I think the message uh, really did really did resonate, and it was fairly easy to see as we got to the last couple of days uh, that you were you were you were like likely to win. And uh, the the fact is that you were also benefited, and I think you would agree, by being able to have the resources to go on television to make that case that you were making. Well, no doubt, it's a big state, and it's tough to reach yeah. every voter. And I'll tell you, we put tens of thousands of miles on uh, on the car, uh, but there's only so much you can do with, to reach 13 million people in Pennsylvania, and so you do need every way of communicating. Uh, we were very active on social media as well, and I'm glad to see that's energizing an increasing uh, percentage of our friends and neighbors and getting people involved in politics. But I do think, you know, my message is, is really simple, and that is, if you work hard in this country, if you work hard, then you can and you should be able to get ahead. That's kind of the equation of what America has always been about. You know, I'm a skin-in-the-game kind of person. I'm a hand-up, not a hand-out kind of person. Uh, and that's what we have to restore is give people the hope that if you try and you try hard, you can provide for yourself and your kids. Uh, Secretary McGinty, you now face uh, incumbent Republican Senator Pat Toomey. You've mentioned Senator Toomey uh, numerous times in the primary campaign, so you have been running against Senator Toomey. Uh, it just doesn't start today. But uh, what do you see as the big issues uh, coming this fall? Well, that equation I just shared, you work hard, you get ahead, unfortunately is an equation that Pat Toomey has been making very hard for people because it's only true if and when you have a senator that's saying, you know, college needs to be affordable. Uh, but Pat Toomey has voted against almost every initiative that would bring the cost of college down. Um, and it's only true when you have a senator who's saying, look, you paid for, you earned Social Security, Medicare. But that's pretty tough when you have a senator who is you know, aiming to privatize Social Security and do away uh, with it. These are kind of the basic tools that people need. They don't want anyone to just hand them things. But when you've earned Social Security, it needs to be there for you. Families are planning uh, on that. And I've stood with businesses as well, Scott, and they were almost dumbfounded that at a time when China is dumping products in our market and when the global trading playing field is so unfair that their own Senator Pat Toomey literally led the charge to take away one of the only tools our manufacturers have to stay in business, something called the XM Bank. You know, we immediately lost 1,500 manufacturing jobs in Erie at the GE plant after the senator succeeded in killing that vital program. So I'm talking about the tools that enable people to succeed, and unfortunately, Senator Toomey has either just been an obstructionist or has voted and led the charge on things that make it tougher for families and business. Katie McGinney, thank you very much for being with us today. I appreciate the opportunity. I hope you have a wonderful day, and off to the next chapter. All right, thank you. <laughs> and I should also mention that uh, yeah, yesterday we had a Democratic primary, uh, but uh, we will do everything we can to uh, make sure that we get Senator Toomey or uh, his surrogates on the program to talk about uh, his candidacy as well. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. 
It's the postmortem or post-analysis, if you will, of yesterday's primary election. Our guest is Dr. G. Terry Madonna, director of the Center for Politics and Public Affairs, professor of public affairs, and director of the Franklin and Marshall College Poll. If you'd like to weigh in, give us a call at 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. You also can leave a question or a comment on WITF's Facebook page. Again, the phone number is one 800 729 Terry, before we move on to uh, some other races, I had a few questions about the U.S. Senate race on the Democratic side. Uh, Endorsements, I don't know. You tell me. You've been doing this much longer than I have. I mean, you've been doing it since the Truman years. Um, I think you're right. (laughs) I'm joking. Maybe during the... uh FDR year. <laughs> but anyway, um, you know, I wonder whether the importance of endorsements, you know, that it seems to be that they have not meant as much as what they used to. Right. But in this case, it seems like it did. And maybe it's because there were so many undecided voters. Would yeah. you agree with that? Yeah, I think there are two sides to that. One is some of these endorsements brought a great deal of money and they brought uh, the proverbial boots on the ground, the organizational uh, organizational efforts. I think uh, uh, Katie McGinty also was helped by, it looks like, uh, by a quick calculation this morning, the Democratic turnout, uh, it looked like it was about 40% of the total Democratic vote, uh, the 4.1 million uh, Demo- registered Democrats in the state. I think she benefited uh, benefited from that, but also by a huge number of endorsements by, by you know, uh, p- party committees and by uh, 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 union PACs and huge amount of money from the outside. That's the second point that she put into these effective commercials. Look how effective the Tom Wolf commercials were in 2014. You and I talked about that. Ten million bucks. He spent about two million immediately and went from 4% to 35% in the polls and never trailed after that. She got into it late because, you know, she accumulated the money later. And then the TV commercials, that's the second ingredient, were very effective along with the message. And not arguably, when you get the president and the vice president of the United States, very popular Democrats in a Democratic primary, that's certainly going to help. But that it was the combination of those things and the huge number of undecideds, perhaps as many as 30 percent undecided 10 days, two weeks before the election, as you pointed out a moment ago. Yeah. The other part of it is, and we, we spoke just the other day on Monday about the John Fetterman impact. I mean, yeah. in most of the polls, John Fetterman, who was uh, a Bernie Sanders disciple, uh, was polling in the single digits. Yeah. But yesterday, he came close to 20%. I don't know what the final figure was. Yeah, yeah. But those right. votes, you said on Monday, those votes would probably come from Joe Sestak. Yeah, I mean, I think they were sort of the two anti-establishment candidates. That, uh, K- K- Katie McGinty didn't, doesn't like us, doesn't like when we say she was the establishment candidate. But if you look at all those endorsements, I'm not suggesting she didn't have a narrative you know, about her childhood and growing up in a working class family, the father of a, I mean, the daughter of a beat cop with a huge uh, uh, family. I'm not suggesting that, but she certainly did have, and I think it goes without saying that she had all of this huge support within the sort of normal Democratic groups that endorse Democratic, you know, candidates that support Democrats, particularly in general elections. 
and and so I think it no doubt that that probably took some votes away from uh, uh, from Joe Sestak. But I think given the, her performance and her campaign, particularly in the last two weeks, that she probably would have won anyway. Mm. A couple other things about this race. Uh, we mentioned money. Uh, oh, yeah. She has, from what I understand, uh, about $4 million in the bank right now. And uh, Senator Toomey has $11 million in the bank. Now, uh, as we know, you don't always win elections by, you know, who has the most money. But it does help, especially when people are deciding based right. on uh, television commercials they've seen or what they've seen in the, in the media. The other thing I want to talk about is this Senate race would appear to be one of the biggest in the country this year because Democrats probably see it as Toomey being that, that there's a possibility that, uh, you know, he's vulnerable and that they could win this seat. Well, you're, you're exactly right. Let's talk about the money first. Because, and it's linked to your second point. Because of the importance of this race, this is one of the top five U.S. Senate races in the country. The uh, Democ- Democrats are only defending 10 seats, the Republicans 24 this year. The Democrats need five seats to take, uh, take control of the United States Senate. And there are a number of Republican incumbents who are defending seats that are really in play. This is one of them. This is going to be one of the most targeted Senate races in the country. And because of that, the money deficit that Katie McGinty now faces with Pat Toomey will be obliterated very quickly by the influx of money from outside of the state, by the super PACs and Democratic organizations. The Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee that endorsed her now put up at least 1.5 million. I mean, think about that. One organization, Emily's List. The last time I read, over 750 thousand mm. dollars. So, so when you start to add that all up, I think mon- the money will even itself out, and this is likely to be uh, the most expensive U.S. Senate rate race in Pennsylvania history. It should surpass the Tom Smith Bob Casey race in 2012 in which more than $40 million was raised and spent. Uh, you know, the, the, the figures are staggering when you think about it. Uh, one final question on that race. Um, and I think that we have to have a uh, we have to mention before we even talk about it is that, as you said, this is so unpredictable and there's so much time between now and November. But there has been speculation that if Donald Trump is the nominee and at the top of the ticket, that the Republicans uh, under him on the ticket will be hurt. Is right. Pat Toomey hurt if Donald Trump is on the ticket? Yeah, well, at the moment, at the moment, I, I, I think so. But again, this is a moving target, as we talked about with the presidential election, and almost anything goes. Right now, the problem is this rise in, and I've talked about this before, the rise in straight party voting because of the polarization and the decline of ticket splitting. That, I think, would be the greatest concern that Senator Toomey has, that he gets caught in a wave. You know, hypothetically, you know, Hillary Clinton wins by 10, 12 points. I'm not saying that will happen. And then down ballot, it helps the Democrats. I mean, the Democrats won all the offices, statewide offices, in 2012 because of a lot of straight party voting. Think about this. Uh, uh, Barack Obama won by 5.2 percentage points. Bob Casey won re-election by nine. And 
someone named Kathleen Kane won by 13 points. And all three row offices, for the first time in modern history, were won by the Democrats. That's the first time the Democrats had won the attorney general's post since it was created uh, as an elected position uh, for the election in 1980. Mm. We have an email here from Catherine who says, In Cumberland County yesterday, I saw very aggressive vote recruiting by individuals working on a candidate's behalf. Not the usual polite wave from a known candidate or a polite offering of a piece of literature. This involved new faces selling why to vote for their candidate. And And she wonders... Is, is this the Trump style rubbing off on uh, even local races across the country? Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, I I think what's going on here, and we've been trying to figure out, you know, the uh, as I tweeted this morning, it looks like on the Republican side, the turnout is up 50 percent. Looks like uh, something like 1.5 million Republicans voted out of 3.1 million uh, registered Republicans in the state. And Trump and the whole campaign on the Republican side in particular has brought voters who may not vote in primaries. They may be general election voters, you know, who just don't vote in primaries. But it also uh, could be that there are people who were not energized to work for candidates before are now out doing that. So the, the 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 emailer is on onto something there, uh, but I saw in my own polling places some of the familiar faces that I normally see. Oh, by yeah. the way, yeah, but you see them. Also, yeah, you see them every time. <laughs> yeah, but there were also candidates for delegates handing literature out. Yeah, or people for the delegate candidates handing literature out. And as we talked about before, I thought they would begin, and they did put on a kind of vigorous campaign to get themselves known. Tom in Edders uh, sent us a, a question. Wanted to know if you could talk about incumbents continuing to win. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, y- you know, there was the, the, the Trump the Trump factor obviously was set in the nature of the presidential contest. Uh, basically, uh, incumbents have huge advantages and because of artful but legal gerrymand, sometimes legal gerrymandering, uh, lawmakers are packed in di- districts where they have very similar views uh, to the voters, or the reverse is pro- probably true as well. And so for that reason, you do see a lot of incumbents winning. In the case of the House of Representatives in our state, about 110 state House lawmakers didn't have any, you know, don't have primary and or general election opponents. So, you know, you got to have an opponent in order to have an election. Right. And many uh, many incumbents just simply have opponents. And because they're packed in similar districts with similar views and they don't make huge mistakes in terms of voting against the desires of their voters, I'm not saying in every single case, obviously, but I think that played a role as well. Plus, you now got to get into a campaign for a year and a half you got to give literally up your entire life to run, and you got to go out and raise money. So it's uh, running uh, in today's, you know, running in politics today is not fun. No, there are times I wonder why anyone would want to do it. Uh, we wouldn't have anything to talk about if they wouldn't do that, That's though. True. It's uh, grueling. It's tough. It's bitter. And look at the negatives. How many tweets and how much stuff is on Facebook? 
and other social media platforms that are pretty venomous. Oh, yeah. And a lot of people don't want to expose their families and themselves to that kind of ridicule and scorn. Absolutely. Lloyd Smucker emerged as the winner in the 16th Congressional District that's in Lancaster, Chester, and uh, part of Berks County. Uh, That was no big surprise. Uh, But a bit of a surprise in that uh, Republican Bill Schuster narrowly beat back a challenge in the 9th Congressional District. And Bill Schuster represents a, a district that's in the western part of our listening area, Franklin County, Perry County, that area. Um, what's the surprise there is not Altoona that Schuster... Yeah, not that uh, he won, but how close it was. That was a surprise. Well, he was the, yeah, he was in the source of a big controversy over whether he, he was uh, dating uh, someone in the in an industry that was related to his uh, chairmanship of the Transportation Committee. In other words, that that had become something of a factor in the campaign. And, you know, whenever you get close to, uh, you know, folks who are lobbying and it appears, notice the word I'm using, that 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 can create special favors, that creates a problem. The other thing is uh, Art Halverson is a, a Tea Party type candidate and he was using that residual uh, aspect of it because of of uh, the uh, nature of the spending and some of the programs that uh, that the incumbent that the incumbent Schuster supported. So it, it was close. And here's what the irony is: uh, Schuster doesn't have a general election opponent. Right. No Democrat filed against him. Mm-hmm. So he has a tough primary, but no general election. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, think about it, though. Uh, and we talk about the the, uh, the margin of victory being a surprise, yeah. not only because Bill Schuster is an incumbent, but being tra- chairman of the Transportation Committee, he is one of the most powerful members of Congress oh, yeah. that there is. Now, th- I have not heard an update on this, but uh, you know, seeing some of the headlines this morning that Halverson was not ready to concede yet. I don't know whether he has, but it was yeah. a close race, and I don't know whether he was giving up or not. Yeah, I didn't see that. I mean, most of the reports I read indicated that Bill Schuster had won. And go back to your point about the Transportation Committee. His his father, Bud Schuster, had been in for decades and in the same area of interest in Congress. You know, he was called the Transportation King. He brought in, you know, millions and millions of dollars into roads and bridge and uh, uh, other projects, you know, infrastructure. And his son, you know, has continued in that vein. So we're going to have to see where where all that goes and whether the election does get contested or not. I had most of the reports that I read indicated that Schuster had won. Yeah, and me too, but it was just that Halverson wasn't ready to yeah. uh, concede. Well, now, that it, race got pretty bitter. I oh, mean, yeah. I think it got yeah. pretty nasty, and so there may be some, you know, uh, I'm not giving up until the, the last vote is officially counted. Yeah, and this is the second time that Halverson has run against uh, Bill Correct. Schuster as well, so they're familiar with one another. Terry, I think I said this to you the other day, but I'll repeat it for those who didn't hear, that I'm a little bit surprised that the attorney general's races on both the Republican and Democratic sides did not get more attention just yeah. because of uh, whoever is the winner 
uh, whichever candidate emerges in November will replace Kathleen Kane, who certainly right. has been one of the most controversial uh, elected officials Pennsylvania has seen in decades. But the bottom line is, on the Republican side, John Rafferty won, and on the Democratic side, Josh Shapiro uh, won. Both are from Montgomery County, winning their primaries yeah. yesterday. And I don't know, I, I wonder whether the, that race is going to get any more attention in November. Yeah, well, I... It, as we talked about earlier, I think the problem was that the presidential races, nominations in both parties and the Senate race, which we talked about, sort of sort of drowned out these other contests and where they weren't omnipresent on television and radio. They had some commercials, which I saw, but nowhere near the, uh, the frequency of these other races. I think what tends to happen is that you know, the the absorption rate for the average voter, including the average analyst like myself, you know, runs, runs pretty high. And the other thing is it doesn't seem to have the direct connection as some of these office, other offices do. You and, and I'm not saying the voters don't think they're important, but it's not something that they relate to directly in their lives. Uh, the three-row offices, Treasurer, Auditor General, and, and Attorney General, are often, you know, below the radar except for people who, you know, junkies like us who pay attention to this. And a lot of your listeners, you've got, you know, very informed listeners who do pay a lot of attention. But the other thing that happened is because the turnout was up so much, you probably had voters who normally didn't vote in primaries before and who may not have been invested in elections, in primary elections, more so in general elections. But I don't know. I, I, I'm not willing to say that it, the the fall election takes on a higher a higher uh, precedence in, for the voters, a higher level of interest for the voters. Yet, typically, and I've covered these since the attorney general's race was you know elected for the first time in 1980. Typically, it has very very low salience with the voters. Well, you know, one of the reasons that I thought, and maybe I, I, I shouldn't point to voters as being more interested, as much as media or people who question the candidates, yeah. I thought that with the troubles that Kathleen Kane had and looking at her background, and once she was elected, that a lot of uh, the mistakes that she allegedly made were due to uh, inexperience or maybe not, uh, you know, being prepared for it, that there would be more questions asked of these attorney general candidates to, to show that they or to find out whether they are more prepared for the job. Right. That's a great question. And what's interesting is that how each of the candidates didn't bring this up, didn't focus on it very much. Shapiro talked about the need to reform the office and to get morale back and to create systemic practices in it that allowed the office to be more functional. He, he touted his administrative experience. Well, on the other hand, uh, Stephen Zapallo, the DA from Allegheny County, talked about, well, I ran a prosecutorial office. I know what it takes to be attorney general. I think they just wanted to avoid getting into the whole cane morass, didn't want to go there. And you know what? If she had run for a second term, then I think you would have seen oh, yeah. a lot more interest in 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 her activities while she was uh, while she has been AG. But largely, she was not running, and therefore, I think they avoided it. They stayed out of the controversy and didn't anger any of her supporters and didn't get caught up in that morass about whether she's guilty or not guilty of covering up a grand jury 
what you know what about these lawsuits against her all of those things that would have taken them off their message and so they stayed away from it. You know, we're going to get back, Terry, quickly to a congressional race. It's not here in central Pennsylvania, but in Philadelphia. Right. Uh, there was an incumbent who was beaten, uh, Shaka Fatah, who was the uh, last, uh, who has been around for a long time as a member of Congress, but has been going through his own scandal and uh, facing criminal charges here recently, right. uh, was defeated by uh, longtime state representative Dwight Evans. Uh, so it does show... What you said earlier that uh, when there are allegations, are there, you know, charges of impropriety, that there are incumbents that can be beaten. But in that case, you had a candidate, a well-known candidate like Dwight Evans beating right. Fatah. No, you're exactly right. I mean, Evans, uh, both of these lawmakers, I mean, Chaka Fatah was a, a state lawmaker before he moved in, on to Congress several terms there. Dwight Evans has been a fixture in the Democratic caucus in the state house. He member of, of the leadership, former uh, appropriations chair, and and both of them had a gr- a good bit of support within the within the political community, uh, Democratic political community in Philadelphia. But what it does show is that 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 Dwight Evans understands politics, also has a record of delivering for the district. And the legal problems of Fatah just overwhelmed him. It's just not his legal problems, but uh, but others in his family his as son, well. Right. He, yeah, he had virtually no money to use during the course of the campaign. And every now and then, even in Pennsylvania, where we have elected, we've nominated and elected people facing criminal charges in the past, it simply overwhelmed him. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. We were talking about yesterday's election results, what to look forward to this fall with Dr. G. Terry Madonna, director of the Center for Politics and Public Affairs, professor of public affairs, and director of the Franklin and Marshall College Poll. WITF's election 2016 coverage is supported by the Harrisburg Law Office of Saul Ewing LLP. Three area state Senate seats uh, had competition here in central Pennsylvania. Scott Martin defeated uh, two other Republicans in the 13th District, which is located in Lancaster County. Democratic incumbent uh, Senator Rob Teplitz uh, won his primary and goes against Republican John DeSanto this fall. And Mike Regan was the winner in the hotly contested 31st District, which is located in Cumberland and York Counties. Uh, State Representative Mike Regan is on the line with us right now. Representative Regan, welcome to the program. Thank you, Scott. Good morning. Good morning. And, and Terry, jump right in whenever you want to, too. But, uh, well, first of all, why do you think uh, you came out of this uh, race victorious yesterday? Uh, well, you know, uh, Scott, I think at the end of the day it was, um, you know, I had a record. I think people could, uh, there was no guesswork that needed to be involved. People could look at my state that I think the votes I made reflected uh you know, the values of, of uh, this district. And uh, there was no guesswork involved. And I think also it was, um, you, know, you know, the other candidates were, were good guys and, and, and probably would, would have been uh, good um, senators. Um, you know, I had, I think, uh, I tried to make the point over and over again that I could hit the ground running uh, because I had that experience. Not only that, my experience as a U.S. Marshal, I think, prepared me for, for the, the responsibility 
uh, of being a senator. So that's the, the points we made. Now, you said that the, the other candidates, the other three candidates, were good guys. But uh, here in the last couple of weeks, uh, between you and John Ritchie in particular, Ritchie finishing second in the, in the vote, uh, it did get kind of negative. And, you know, it's one of those things that, uh, hey, politics, it's, 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 it's for adults. We know what it's like nowadays. But uh, did, do you think that uh, going negative against Ritchie helped you? Well, listen, we did not really want to go that way. And we, uh, you know, there was a point in time, I guess, they did a poll and saw that they were down and they did a negative mailer and a, and a negative TV commercial on, on back-to-back days. Um, and, you know, and then we were at a crossroads, Scott. You know, it's like, well, what, do we stand here and get hit or do we do we respond? And, um, you know, uh, my consultants said, hey, look, we're lose if we don't respond to this. And so it made the, the decision a little bit easier. But I don't like that type of uh, campaigning. I think it's um, unfortunate, but, uh, you know, it was uh, it was one of those things where I think in order for us to, to move forward with our campaign, we had to uh, at least defend ourselves and maybe point some things out. And I think we pointed those things out in our in our debate, which we had on your on your station. You know, yeah. my, my whole contention was you're uh, you're receiving loads of money from from the unions, and you say you're a conservative Republican. They typically don't back conservative Republicans, and that was the point we were trying to drive home. Something else that came out in that debate, um, you know, I ask you about bipartisanship and yeah. polarization. Uh, Pat Vance, who is retiring, uh, the seat that uh, you're running for. She told me, and I don't think this was an off-the-record conversation, because uh, I've heard her say at other places as well, that it's getting nasty in the Senate, that even in the Republican caucus, that you feel like you have to look over your shoulder, that uh, there isn't that kind of cooperation, even in the caucus, that you've seen in the past. How do, how do, we, get away, how do we get away from that? You know, I don't know, and I'm going to have to survey that. I mean, I didn't really feel that uh, as definitive, definitively as she has felt it in the Senate while being in the House. Um, you know, we'll see how it goes. But, I mean, I think there is a frustration among you know, the Republicans in the House that we've been, or in the, excuse me, in the Senate, they've not been able to move forward, you know, good, solid Republican legislation. And many times it was because of, um, you know, people who are Republicans, but they're not willing to, you know, move the agenda forward, which I think is important to many, many Republicans um, in the state. So I think that caused a lot of the consternation between members of the same party was, okay, come on, we need to do this. And it was a just struggle. Mm-hmm. Hey, congratulations on your victory. Terry Madonna here. What uh, did you see much in the, in the course of your campaign, this anti-incumbent sentiment? Scott and I were talking about that a minute ago as to whether that played a role and uh, you know, it didn't seem like throughout the state a few incumbents lost, as we pointed, as we talked about a moment ago. But did you get any sense that there was a strong anti-incumbent? You know, in some ways you weren't the incumbent, but in other ways, because of your current position, you get my point. You were certainly not someone who was coming from the outside. We heard uh, about it from Terry from some people. Um, very often, and you know, we we uh, try to in our advertising and in our commercials and things drive on the point. I've only been there three years, right? So that was tough. And then we had some endorsements come out, like for instance, this uh, this uh, group, Mag Make America Great, which is a um, 
they are a uh, not I wouldn't say anti-incumbency group, but they are Trump supporters, and they you know that's one of the things they look for is people coming from that side. When they endorsed me, I think I crossed over a little right. bit uh, there. But you know there is that feeling there. I didn't. I, I, I'm lucky. I think probably one more term in the House, and I probably feeling that a lot more. But I, it wasn't. It was occasional, but not. Uh, yeah. Not, well, Mike, you know, one one final question, and uh, I know that there are a lot of Republican candidates who are going to have to face this this fall of whether to support Donald Trump if he is the nominee. Will you? Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, I think one of the problems we've had, and I'm, I'm sure Terry would agree to this as Republicans, is we are sometimes, I think, too principled in our, you know, like, for instance, Mitt Romney, you know, many Republicans who sat out that vote because he's conservative enough or uh, like his, his stance on and, or whatever. And the cost was eight years of uh, Obama. I think, you know, one of the things that Democrats do much better than Republicans is they coalesce around their candidate. Whoever our candidate is, we need to get around because you know, I'm not sure that we can uh, we can survive uh, another eight years uh, like we've had. So I think that's the lesson is we need to get behind our candidate, whoever it is, whoever the nominee is coming out of the number. Representative Mike Regan was victorious yesterday in the 31st State Senate District in the, on the Republican side. Representative Regan, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you very much, Steve. Both. Right. Take care. We'll see you. Terry, that last point. And this kind of takes us all the way back to presidential. Uh, You know, throughout this campaign, we have had many Republicans say that, well, I just can't support Donald Trump. But they're not going to have a choice, are they? I mean, it's either going to be Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, you know, go go to uh, vote for the Democratic candidate. Yeah, I don't I don't. I mean, as we talked about at the onset of this program, I mean, he's under. 300 delegates that he being being Trump short of the the nomination and everybody's making a big deal of the 57 votes up next week in Indiana and you know there's still some other states like New Jersey where Trump will certainly do uh, do well in West Virginia I mean I just don't there's just no way it looks to this observer that Trump can be denied the nomination so the Republican quote establishment has has uh, you know, they can do one of two things. They can rally behind him, as they did with Barry Goldwater in 1964, and see what happens. Or if they try to fiddle with the rules, meddle, uh, deny him the nomination, the Republican Party comes apart at the seams. I mean, given what we've talked about, desire to change, uh, anti-establishment, all the things that 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 you and I have chatted about and others have talked about, in terms of the attitude, particularly in the rep- among the Republican electorate. On the other side, I mean, the Democrats in the polls that I've seen, there's still 20, 25 percent of Democrats who aren't convinced they're going to come over and support Secretary Clinton. These are folks who mainly support Bernie Sanders. So it's not a it, it's more of a done deal on the Democratic side than the Republican side. But this could get pretty chaotic towards the end meaning when we approach November 8th. And it's it's important to point out that, uh, you know, November is not a primary election. I mean, you got the right. entire country voting. You, you have uh, independent voters, which if you go by registrations, that uh, the number of independents out there are uh, are growing. 
Uh, plus, the great majority of American people, I think you would agree with this. You tell me. You have a, a, a good handle on the uh, handle on the pulse of uh, the electorate. But uh, the the majority of American people are probably moderate in their politics. It's in the primaries where we hear you know the we hear from the people or the people who are um, I'm not going to say extremists, but are hardcore Republican, hardcore Democrats uh, who who vote in the primaries. Yeah, well, I mean, typically, typically it's the middle that decides. It's the people in, and and you know, I'm not discounting voters everywhere because every vote makes a difference. But in our state, you get down to the Philadelphia suburbs and up in the Lehigh Valley, where the moderate swing voters live. You go out to Ohio and Columbus, where the swing voters live. You go to Virginia, and you get to the suburbs. Of, of Washington in the state of Virginia that makes a difference in that state. You go to Florida along the I-4 uh, a corridor, uh, and these are the voters we've typically talked about. They're, now, they're, they are declining. The middle is shrinking, and that's one of the big changes that we've seen over the last couple of election cycles because of the intense partisanship. So now there's at least one operational theory that what will really matter, Scott, will be can you get your own voters out? How energized can you get your own folks? And that is likely to be a huge effort. It's always an effort, but now it could be determined whether Trump, and of course Trump has to get his own voters together. You know, he has to rally the troops and deal with these large number of Republicans who say they won't vote for him, at least at the moment, say they won't vote for him. You know, Donald Trump, and we've talked about this uh, several times, Donald Trump, since he got into the race, has pretty much driven the narrative. The media has responded to everything that uh, he has said. Uh, He's gotten so much media attention. Now that it, uh, and again, it's not official, but if it is Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, does Trump continue to drive the narrative? Well, he's certainly going to try. I mean, it may even itself out a little more because of the Trump Trump phenomenon may, may wear itself out. But here's why it's not likely to. Look at the nature of his campaign. It's unlike anything we've seen in modern history. And I've got, you know, go back and look at someone who taught presidential history, and I'm trying to figure out when have we had another situation quite like this. I mean, we've had candidates who come from different spheres, We've had candidates who haven't been established, so to speak. I mean, one, one, one Abraham Lincoln, who served one term in Congress and, a, and, and several terms in the Illinois legislature before, you know, lost an election for the United States Senate. I mean, you, you get my point. And then we've had, you know, the uh, Ross Perot's of the world, the third-party candidates who get 18, 19 percent of the vote. But none of them with the persona, none of them with the style, if you will, of a Donald Trump, who most of us thought would have, you know, been gone, uh, you know, early on, given some of the more outrageous comments that he made. Well, I have a feeling we're going to hear a lot of outrageous things over the next uh, yeah, few months, right. maybe even from both sides. But uh, uh, Terry Madonna, political analyst to pollster at Franklin Marshall College. Terry, thank you very much for joining us and uh, uh, take a nap today, okay? Hey, thanks, God. <laughs> All right, we'll see you. Coming up on tomorrow's program, uh, a lot of news got lost over the last few days because of the election coverage. But uh, the State Archives, uh, a lot of the material in the State Archives, all the material in the State Archives is moving. We're going to be talking about that on tomorrow's program.